So uh, Francois has um, basically chosen to re-obey the voice of the Lord. Um, he was part of the team way back in 2011 when um, we were in South Downs in the Centurion Church. Um, and then he left us, went to Linwood, thought the grass was greener, and then God brought him back. So we just want to say welcome home with your family. Now, so when we, we sent him out as a single, and he brought three more back. So uh, he was just making disciples. Uh, so, Franz, it really is an honor for us to have you bringing the word tonight. Uh, we're expectant, and our hearts are open. So let's just stretch out our hands and pray. Father, we thank you that we can come and submit ourselves tonight, Lord, under the authority of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to Francois in his preparation. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit rests upon him. And as he speaks tonight, Lord, um, we can take it as the word of God. And may your word come and bring refreshment. May it bring fresh conviction, but may it bring life and life in abundance in Jesus' name. Amen. So I really don't know what I'm going to say tonight because he literally stole my opening and my ministry moment at the end. But it is true that I was part of South Downs. Uh, I started my ministry in 2010, six months before Yaku. Uh, we both did an internship. Uh, and I spent three years in Linwood and then God moved me to South Downs, correct? Hansi asked me to come. And then three years later, went back after hearing the voice of God. And how do I don't know? Because I met my wife in Linwood. Okay. Uh, but since uh, marrying my wife, we, we lived in Centurion. And every month, Yaku would ask me when I'll be obedient to God and move to Highfelt, which is funny because he never asked me to come and preach at Highfelt, so I don't know. Um, and at that time, my wife had an opportunity to go to Cape Town and work in Cape Town, so we're praying about going to Cape Town, going to CA, and apparently God has a sense of humor because we ended up at CA, which is Centurion Academy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes, uh, we do obey God, but he has a sense of humor. So I love being part of the spiritual family, as Yaku said, 84 plus countries in the beginning of the year, just fasting together, seeking God, but then also praying uh, or, or preaching the same sermon series, which last year was Abide, and this year is Miracles, and Yaku was looking for the miracle, and it's against that wall. Miracles, Yaku, there you go. Uh, and I love miracles, but I think in our context, in the Africa context, uh, it's usually an issue. Because you have the guy in the front calling himself a prophet or an apostle, or, or these days it's hyphenated, it's an apostle prophet or whatever, uh, and he does a miracle, or so-called miracle, that points to himself, and he makes himself known. But miracles exist for that reason. It is to make him known. It is to make Jesus known. It is to lift him up. Every time the Spirit moves, it is to glorify the Son of God, that hung on a cross and died for us and was raised by the Father. That is why the Holy Spirit moves, always. No other reason, it's to glorify Jesus. And so miracles exist to glorify Jesus, and they still exist today. I know there's a bunch of churches that said all the stuff about the Holy Spirit was for then. Well, you can read history, and up to 270 years after the church, after the disciples, the church was still raising people from the dead. And even today, we don't see it in our context. I think we'd like to. Probably scare the Jesus out of us. But we still hear testimonies from Mozambique, people getting raised from the dead. The forests in Mexico, people being raised from the dead. 
pots of food, uh, just enough to feed 20 people, feeding 200 people, not running out. There are still miracles happening today, and don't miss the fact that when someone comes to saving faith, that is a miracle. It is someone that has been dead that has been brought back to life in Christ Jesus. And so, we are looking at miracles, and we're looking at the miracles from the gospel of Jesus according to John. One gospel, four different interpretations, and we're looking at John, and John records seven miracles. And he gives a, a, a statement in John 20 that clarifies why he's done this. He says, Now Jesus did many more miracles in the presence of the disciples, but these have been written. Why? So that you, myself and you, us, can believe. What? Two things. That Jesus is the Christ, and he is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the anointed one, but he's also the Son of God, and if we believe that, we will have life in His name. And not just eternal life, life now, into eternity. Life in our relationships, life in our finances, life in everything that we have in this fleshly life, into eternity. And so we read uh, the, uh, tonight, today, I preach this morning, so it's always a tricky thing to get that balance between, anyway. So John 6, verse 16, is our key for tonight, and we read up to Verse 21, keeping in mind why this was written. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Uh, Father, just thank you for the church. Thank you for the church that you are building. Thank you that you are calling people onto yourself. And, and Jesus, thank you that when we raise you up, you will call men onto yourself. Holy Spirit, I pray tonight that your word would be life, and you will raise Jesus up through the preaching of your word tonight so that people will see him, and he will be glorified as is his proper place. Thank you for your presence tonight. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to urge you that when you do study the Bible, read the Bible, that you do so critically uh, and ask questions. Because when you read this piece, there's a couple of questions that jump out. And the first one is, is very in your face. It's, the disciples went down to the boat. So the question is, where's Jesus? It's weird not to have Jesus with his disciples when you read the Gospels. And it's kind of important where Jesus is. So the great thing about the Gospels is that if you don't have the answer in the one, you can go look for it in the other Gospels. Because they would have the same stories, but they will highlight different things because they were written to different people by different men, and so they have a story in itself to tell. So you can find the same story in Matthew and Mark, and if you read the, the one in Mark, well, both in, in Matthew as well, it will say this. It will say that immediately, so there's an urgency, Jesus sent his disciples, he commanded them to get into the boat. And then, having sent the crowd away, he went up to the mountain to pray. 
Okay, so how's the story tracked then? So there's an urgency about Jesus sending his disciples away. Now again, that there should be a question in your, in your mind, and your hearts. Why is there an urgency for him to send his disciples away from him if they are to walk with him? And he sent them across the sea to Capernaum, which was his base of operations. He wasn't welcome in his hometown, so in his early ministry, they ministered out of Capernaum. They're on the way there, and he goes up to the mountain to pray. Now, who knows that Jesus would know that they're going to end up in a storm? Yes, he's the Son of God. He is God. He knows. He's commanding his disciples into a storm. If you read the Bible uh, and the Gospel of John uh, especially, you would see that when he writes about darkness, it's always in opposition. It's the absence of Jesus, absence of light. And if you read about sea in the whole biblical context, it always represents evil and chaos. So Jesus is literally commanding his disciples into darkness and into chaos. Does that make sense to anyone? Well, that makes sense to me. So why would Jesus do that? The great thing to remember here is Jesus at this point is on the mountain and he's spending time with the Father. And it says in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, that he was aware he could see his disciples battling the storm. So even though he's not present, he's aware of what's happening as he's interceding with the Father. And so in the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, he comes walking across the water. Now you would have read that when the disciples got on the boat, it got dark. So they literally left when evening fell, so they've been on the sea for nine plus hours. More than nine hours, battling the ocean, in darkness and chaos. Imagine how they're feeling at this point. Tired, hungry, thirsty, definitely wet. These guys are having a hard time. And then it says they've, they've rode about three to four miles. That's halfway. So they've got nine plus hours and they are halfway. And then Jesus comes walking across the water. And then interestingly enough, it says that they were frightened when they saw him. Now there's a key there. So if you know the Jewish, uh, Jewish discipleship, donkey Yoko, you would know that by the age of five, all the boys could quote the first five books of the Bible verbatim. Okay, they could quote the first five books of the Bible. And by the age of eight, they could quote the whole of the Old Testament. Okay, that was their schooling. So the disciples were tested and at some point were disqualified because they couldn't do the whole Old Testament. Shame. Okay? My, my boy is almost five. It just breaks my brain that he's supposed to be able to know the first five books of the Bible. Okay, but at some point they are tested, and if they did not qualify, they didn't know everything, then they were sent back to go do the work of their father. So, for example, James and John, fishermen, sons of Zebedee, who is a fisherman. So at some point, James and John were tested, but they didn't know everything, so they're sent back to go be fishermen. Okay, either before the age of five or the age of eight, but they were sent back, but they would know most of the Old Testament. They would also know all the psalms, because the psalms are all sung at the different feasts. 
Okay, so now Jesus is coming on the water. Now look how magnificent this is. Psalm 77 says the following. It says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lifted up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. That sounds like the storm that they are in at the moment. But then it says this. Your way was through the sea, the path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. So what are the disciples seeing? They are seeing God walking towards them, and they know Him to be God. In the storm, in the chaos, in the darkness, God comes walking towards them, and they are frightened because it's God. See, before they were sent across the water... Something happened. Remember the urgency of Jesus. It says immediately. Why was Jesus so, so determined to get these guys out? He just fed the 5,000. 5,000 men. So if you add the women and children, probably 10,000 plus people that Jesus fed with the loaves and the fish. But then it says this. In the last verse, verse 15 Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain to pray. These thousands of people, this crowd that had gathered, that Jesus had fed, realized something. In Exodus, Moses gave a prophecy. And he said that there would be a greater Moses that will come. So these thousands of people are connecting the dots. Moses fed them in the desert, Jesus just fed them. Moses healed in the desert, Jesus just healed a man with a withered hand, etc. And they're connecting the dots and they're realizing that this is the prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. The only problem is that when they think of the Messiah, they have a political leader in mind, someone that's going to come save them from the Romans, and they're going to live in peace and comfort, because he is a king that will feed them and heal them and put them in a place of comfort. And the disciples had the same idea. How do we know this? Because James and John come to Jesus with their mom and ask to be seated at his left and his right hand side when he sits on the throne. They were also expecting a political leader and not seeing Jesus where he is. They just saw him multiply the loaves and the fish, so they are seeing the anointed one of Jesus. They are seeing Jesus the Christ. What they are missing is that he is the Son of God. And now in the boat... They've already forgotten about the loaves. Mark says they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves because their hearts were hardened. They're not understanding what's happening. So Jesus puts them into the storm, into the dark, into the chaos. Now here's the great thing. Where do we see that first? Genesis 1 verse 1. And the earth was void without form. There was chaos and it was dark. But the Holy Spirit was hovering. Waiting to move. Same, same here. Chaos and darkness. The guys are in a storm, but the Holy Spirit is present and he's waiting to move. And what does he do? He empowers Jesus to walk on the water, to nullify the rules and the, and the laws of nature. Walk across the water so his disciples can see that he is not just the Christ. He is the Son of God. He's God himself. Now this this miracle is never again mentioned in any, any part of the gospel. But afterwards, they unpack the feeding of the 5,000 in such a way 
that, that most of the crowd walks away from Jesus. This is the part where he says, you need to eat of my flesh. You need to drink of my blood. He's introducing the communion. Okay, and they say, this teaching is too hard for us. So they leave. These were the people that were fed on the other side of the lake. But they leave. Because they missed the fact that he's not just the Christ or the Messiah. He is the Son of God. But for the twelve in the boat that he was going to entrust the world to, he needed to solidify in their hearts and in their minds that he is the Son of God and that, the, the, that he came not just to, to, to bless, not just to feed, not just to heal, but to save all humanity and not just humanity, but very nature itself from the corruption that it is in right now. He's come to restore the creation order as it was in the beginning in Genesis. New earth, new creation, new bodies for us that believe. That is his purpose. It's bigger than just multiplying fish and loaves. Another interesting thing is when he does get to them, they are frightened. What does he say? He says to them, don't be frightened. Thank you, Jesus. But he says, literally, I am. He doesn't choose anything else. He doesn't come and say, I'm the healer. Because what do you expect of a healer? Healing. He doesn't come and say, I'm the provider. Because what do you expect for him to provide? I'm not the one that's coming to save you from the storm. He literally comes and says, I am. What do you expect from I am? I am was the covenantal name that God gave to Abraham and Moses and the tribe of Israel that says, literally, I've got you. Doesn't matter what you do, I'll keep the covenant between us, I've got you. You'll be safe. I have a plan. I'm in control. I am Lord. I'm Lord of your lives, Israel, and I've got you. There's literally telling them in the storm, it is me, the covenantal God, and you're going to be okay. And then he gets in the boat, and literally it ends. The story ends. They arrive on the other side. This is the second time that, that a storm has been quieted by Jesus. The first one, he was asleep to wake him up, and he commands the storm. He commands the waves. He commands the wind to be still. In this account, there's nothing. Jesus doesn't command anything. He doesn't speak about the waves. He doesn't speak about the wind. He doesn't speak about the storm. And then this thing is never repeated again. So what's the purpose of these five verses in the middle of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus unpacking the feeding of the 5,000? Another psalm, Psalm 107. He made the storm be still and the waters of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to the desired haven. Again, something the disciples would know. See, John doesn't focus on anything else except this one thing. It says, Jesus got in the boat. That's the whole point. Jesus got in the boat. So what does that mean for you and I? The fact that Jesus 
got in the boat. See, when those other disciples, the crowd leaves, Jesus asks his disciples, will you leave with them? And Peter stands up and he says, where will we go? You have the words of life. Something had dropped in the disciples just because Jesus got in the boat. God himself coming on the water, Jesus getting in the boat, and the storm subsiding. So the fact is, all of us go through storms. Some of you just raised your hand and said, I'm going through a storm right now, and you need healing. My wife and I put a couple of hundred thousand into a business, and six weeks later, we walked into lockdown, and we lost all the money. Business had to close down. We were in a storm. Last year, April, one of our dear friends got diagnosed with a blood clot in her, in her neck, goes to midstream hospital, walks in with a blood clot, walks out with stage 4 colon cancer. So they operate, they cut it out. A couple of days later, she's dead. From the diagnosis of the blood clot to her passing away, six weeks. And we're in a storm. And then last year, another good friend gets diagnosed with cancer. Gets therapy, she's clean. Comes for a checkup, now she has brain cancer. And they cut it out, and a couple of days later, she's dead. And we're in a storm. Thursday evening, <sighs> our neighbors race to hospital because Talon, their three-year-old, oxygen dropped to 74%. Yesterday we learned that she's got rhinovirus, A, B, and C, influenza, and RSV. And then yesterday afternoon, as I quickly go to the spa, I meet our neighbors behind us just to find out that on Friday night, as we had this fantastic storm, lightning had hit the house, hit the DSTV dish. See, DSTV is bad for you. That's the moral of the story. Hits the DSTV dish, it blows everything. The solar inverters, the panels gone, the TV's gone, the exercise equipment all gone. That happens at half past 11. My wife even came in, checking that everything's okay as I was sermon prepping because the strikes were so close, not knowing it was literally next door. Half past 11, at 2 o'clock, they wake up again because, because of the uh, strike, the, the geezer was weakened and at 2 o'clock it bursts, narrowly missing their sleeping daughter. But now the whole ceiling is gone, uh, because it's heated, it got underneath the, the floor, so all the flooring is gone, and just, and they're in a storm. See, sometimes we're in a storm, sometimes the people close to us that we trust in God for are in a storm. Now, I don't know where you are. Some of you raised your hands and you are in a storm concerning your health. Maybe you're in a storm that you battled to become pregnant, or you had a miscarriage. We had that storm. 
Maybe you lost someone close to you. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe things are just not working out as you had trusted God for, and you are in the dark and you are in the chaos. The good news that we have is this. Never again, as the disciples, will you be in the storm and Jesus be on the mountain. But because of the cross, you have the Holy Spirit at all times. Never again will you or can you be alone if you've given your life to Christ. You might be quiet. You know, as we, as we grow in our faith and we become sanctified, Jesus pushes us in our faith. It's like hide and seek. So my little daughter's is one, one and a half. So when we play hide and seek, I literally take a little blanket and I throw it over her head. And I go like, where's daddy? She struggles and pulls it off and like, ta-da. And when she gets a little older, I literally go stand behind the couch and she'll toddle around and find me. My four-year-old, almost five, can't hide behind the couch, so I'll go into my room and I get in the cupboard. And he can't find me. I literally have to knock the door so he can hear her. And then he finds me. And that's kind of what God does sometimes. He puts us in the storm. He commands us into the storm. Sometimes by knowing and sometimes we don't know that he's commanding us into the storm. He just works things around us and he puts us into that storm. And sometimes he speaks in that storm and sometimes he does not. So why then in the storm? So that he will become known. Your storm is not about you. Our storm is not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus using the storm to get us to him. It's about getting him into the boat. So how do I get him into the boat? Well, the first thing is you have to be saved. You have to accept that he is the Christ and he is the Son of God. And that if you believe in that, in his name, there's saving faith. And I'll give everybody a chance in a minute. But the second thing is, if you are saved and you have accepted that gift of grace, how do you you know Jesus is in the boat? Well, even though you might not hear him speaking, he does speak and he uses this. So how do you know Jesus is in the boat? You're spending time with Jesus. How do you know Jesus is in the boat? You have a prayer life. Because if you don't have a prayer life, it means you're relying on yourself. You are rowing the boat into the storm, and Jesus is not in the boat. What does your prayer life look like? And the third thing I want to highlight is, what does your heart look like? See, because in the storm, we don't always understand what God does in the storm. We can only trust that he is sovereign and he is in control and that he's a loving father, even though we might not feel it. My son doesn't necessarily feel that I'm a loving father when I smack his behind. But it's for his good. So we are allowed to ask questions. God, why? I don't understand. He doesn't always answer those questions. The thing we cannot do is question God. So the one, we come, we come to him as a good father and we ask to understand. The other one, we come as rebels against God and his purposes. 
So in the storm, where's your heart? Are you in the Word? Are you in prayer? And where's your heart? We need to get Jesus into the boat so that he may be glorified as we go through the storm and get to the other side. Now I need to say this before I finish, that theologians are split on that last verse. Some say it's a second miracle and instantaneously they arrived on the other side. And some say because they were so overjoyed about seeing Jesus, about realizing that he is literally the Son of God and he gets in the boat and the storm subsides, that they didn't notice that they were finishing the journey. And you know what? I don't think it, it matters. Because sometimes God does that instantaneously. And God takes you through the storm, and sometimes you need to journey. It doesn't matter in all of it. He is Christ. Royal. He is the Messiah, He is the Anointed One, and He is the Son of God. So I want to give that first opportunity, so I want to, I want to ask you to close your eyes. If you've been in church, you know what's happening now, so honor the moment. <clears throat> Just close your eyes. If you've never gone before God in prayer and acknowledged that He is God and you've given your life to Him, <clears throat> you need to do so. It's not about coming to church, uh, praying, reading. Or, it's not about where your, your friends are or your family. It's about you having made a decision to give your life to Jesus. And if you've not done that ever in your life, I would like you to just quickly raise your hand and then lower it again. Okay, great. I see those hands. So all you need to do, you can lower your hands. All you need to do is let's have a conversation with Jesus right now. And all you need to tell him is, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the Son of God. Jesus, I'm sinful, and I believe that you died on that cross so that I might have eternal life. Just tell him that. If you believe that, just tell him that. And then just ask him, come into my life. I give my life to you. I acknowledge you as the Savior and as Lord of my life. And then just thank you for sacrifice and say amen. Okay, you guys can open your eyes. The three of you that raised your hands, please do come speak to me after the service. Love to meet you. But that now means that everybody here is saved or claim to be at least a pure, truthful Christians. But the second call is this. We sang a song, and I've asked Kubis just to put those, those words up. That's what this sermon is about. Jesus takes us into the storm where we are not in control, where our feet cannot wander. For the reason to make our faith increase, to make our dependence on Him 
increase. Dependence on ourselves decrease. And the reason he does that is so that Jesus might be glorified, but because there's a world out there that needs to sit in here, fill this hall, and come to know Jesus Christ. Your journey through the storm is not for you, it is for those people out there. Jesus gave us a roadmap to reach lost people. And it says, go out, find those people and then bless them and then meet their need. Guys, we need to be aware of the people around us that are in storms. And if you see them where you are on campus at work, the guy next door, bless him or her and ask how you can meet their need. That opens up their heart for the gospel. If you battle with evangelism, there's evangelism 101. Easiest way to reach someone. Having said that, I want to ask those that are in storms right now, trusting God for finances, those that didn't experience healing earlier, you can stand again, trusting God for healing. You're in a relationship and it's not going well, you're married, it's not going well, I want you to stand. If you're in a storm right now, I want you to be humble enough before God and to stand at this very moment. Have the courage and stand. Thank you for having the courage and the humility before God to stand. But now those that are not standing are going to stand. And you're going to go to those people. And if you're standing, I want you to share. You don't have to go deep. Just share. I'm trusting for healing. I'm trusting for finances. I'm trusting for whatever that may be. Share that with a person. And then I want you guys to pray in faith for the people that are standing right now. Guys, this is what church is. This is family. No one walks alone. We walk together. So right now, just go to someone that is standing. I'm going to give some time. Let's pray for one another. Let's minister. Thank you, Lord, for that glorious truth that we can call upon your name. Your word says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you give us that eternal promise that we are yours and you are ours. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to I send you out with something and then remind, just a couple of quick reminders. But 2 Corinthians 5, if you've never read 2 Corinthians 5, go and sit on it. Um, but 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. See, friends, there's a world out there who does not know Jesus, and some of them might be family members of yours, some of them might be your friends, some of them might be your colleagues or your fellow students, but there is a world out there who does not know Jesus, and like Francois preached, the, he who does not have Christ does not have life. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, God wants to make His appeal through preachers and pastors and evangelists and good books and awesome worship songs. Oh, no, wait, sorry. Let me just get back to the Word of God. God making His appeal through us. 
God making His appeal through you. If you are a born-again believer, God has a desire to make Himself known through you. So this week, ask the Holy Spirit, who are you leading me to? Who can I pray for? Who can I be kind to so that Christ may be known? Amen? A quick reminder, the Gent team have a raffle. They have incredible prizes. I know the first, third prize, like the first prize is a weekend away. The second prize is a photo shoot. The third prize is a, a babysitting service. And if you do not have a baby, they'll bring you a baby to babysit. How cool is that? <laughs> huh? <laughs> so, uh, so do go and support them. Uh, they are leaving in a couple of weeks. This will be our first mission team going out post-COVID. So we're really, really expectant for that. And then again, if you are visiting us tonight for the very first time, um, yeah, we'd love to just quickly connect with you at our Next Steps Corner, just to get to know you a bit more, you get to know us, but also on the Highfield Online link. So everything church-related happens at Highfield Online. There's a connection card. Now, you can also get one at the back, but um, just to say thank you for visiting us tonight, we would like to give a 100 rand gift to one of three um, pro programs or projects that we support um, just to say thank you for visiting us, and then you get to choose which one of those three you'd like to support. That's a good cause. All right. Uh, so that's on Highfelder Online, and then there's a Connect card. Um, bless you guys. May you see God move in your life this week. Um, if you are not connected to one of our discipleship groups, our Connect groups, please do also go to the Next Steps area. We'd love to get you plugged in. If you'd like to volunteer in church, for instance, the band like Alex, huh? how cute was that? Um, you can also just go to the Next Steps area. We'd love to get you plugged in to serve with us um, and just to get plugged into spiritual family. Um, there's a baptism. Okay, so don't forget the baptism. Five minutes, grab a coffee, and then we're going to have a baptism outside.